You're listening to a sermon from crckulaman.org. We are starting a new series this Sunday. Yeah, yeah, I love starting new series. Uh, it's spring, so what, what do you notice seems to happen every spring, every September, there seems to be an explosion of pollen, but that's not what I'm thinking of. There, there seems to be an explosion of those get healthy campaigns, isn't there? You know, the 12-week fitness boot camp style of campaign that, um, you know, Michelle Bridges, I think, made them famous. There's a local one happening. I know at least one of our congregation are part of the local 12-week boot camp. Numerous other ones. Anyone here ever been part of one of those 12-week get fit, eat well? Yeah, 12 weeks of tiredness, I agree, I agree. The idea behind them is that you have these, these structured 12 weeks, eating routines, exercise routines, and they help you get on track physically, don't they? Help you lose weight, get healthy, and retrain yourself, retrain your mind to live a healthy lifestyle. And they exist to counteract people's natural urges to overindulge themselves and live um, uh, very uh, quiet, lazy lifestyles. It got me thinking, if we put as much focused effort into structuring our our spiritual lives and routines as much as some people do their, their eating and their exercise ones, I think we'd be seeing a much fitter, healthier bride of Christ church, wouldn't we? We'd probably be exploding out the door, wouldn't we? Yeah? Uh, The thing is, there's little point only having a few of us fit and healthy in the church, isn't it? Um, If if most of the church is suffering the effects of too little spiritual exercise and the effects of chronic overindulgence of the flesh, if they are uh, suffering an obsession with work and busyness that's often idolatrous, and if people's self-identities are shaped by culture rather than Christ. And so this, this is something as a church we need to be passionate about together. We need to be passionate about helping each other train for the Jesus life. You can't do it on your own. You're not meant to do it on your own. And, and people need a bit of a nudge, don't they? Hey? People need a bit of a nudge, a friendly nudge. You know, not a condemning nudge, but a friendly nudge nonetheless. Christ's desire is that he has a radiant church, Ephesians 5.27. He desires that he has a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And so Christ feeds and cares for his body, the church, in the same way that we feed and care for our physical bodies. And he's set in place certain um, activities, or we might call them spiritual disciplines or habits that are to shape our lives in order for them to flourish as he intended them to flourish. It's like saying Christ has a fitness program for us, has a fitness program for his church. And so over the next 12 weeks... And this is beautiful. It worked out beautifully. 12 weeks. Uh, We're going to cover eight different aspects of Christ's fitness program. So I'm going to say, forget Michelle Bridges. All right, she's got nothing. She's got nothing for us. This is the fitness program designed by the Creator. And we are training for the Jesus life. Amen? Yeah. (laughs) 
The same, you know, the same being who looped together your DNA sequence, the same Christ who holds everything in heaven and on earth together, the same Christ who knew you before he hung the stars in the sky, this creator knows exactly, exactly what you need to function well and for this world to function well. So by tackling one thing every week or two, the idea is that we develop these habits gradually if we don't already have these habits in our life. You know, most diets fail because people try to change too many things at once, don't they? Have you ever failed at a diet? Yeah, come on. <laughs> we all have. There's a diet out there called the Change One Diet, and um, it sort of recognises this fact that people fail if they try too much at once. And so what it does is it gets you to change just one part of your diet at a time. So each week you, you change a different thing. So you start with breakfast, and you get your breakfast healthy for a week, and then you tackle your evening meals and you get them healthy for a week and then you tackle your lunch and then your, your snacks and all that. So, so gradually, bit by bit, layer by layer, you, you're changing your, your diet and your lifestyle. And so uh, gradual change seems to work best for us as human beings, doesn't it? Because we really struggle with change, don't we? So the first phase of any good diet is the detox phase. <laughs> This is the stopping phase. And I mean, this is easy. Uh, today, I'm not actually asking you to really do anything new. I'm actually going to be asking you to stop doing stuff. Sounds pretty good, don't you think? We're all a bit overworked, a bit tired. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm giving you permission today to stop doing stuff. I mean, you're going to love me at the end of this. Huh? You're just going to be like, free. So, so this, is the, this is the stop doing things. So... Um, the idea behind stopping stuff is that we're learning to trust God. When we stop, we allow room for God to step in. And so stopping is a bit like detox. It allows all those toxins <laughs> to be released from our, our heart, our spirit. So, so week one today, will be um, we're going to be tackling the toxin of busyness. And the spiritual habit we're going to be learning about is Sabbath rest. Right. And then week two, we're going to tackle the toxin of approval addiction. And the spiritual habit we're going to look at there is silence, secrecy and solitude. Week three, our toxin is self-gratification. And we're going to look at the spiritual habit of fasting. So that's all the, the not doing phase. That's the detox phase. Now, then we're going to move in after that to the kitchen clean-out phase, the pantry clean-out. You know, any good diet, you've got to get into your pantry, don't you? And uh, you've got to, got to get rid of all that stuff that's unhealthy. And so this is all about removing temptations from your life, all the ways you self-sabotage your spiritual progress, the things that hold you back. You know, in a 12-week fitness campaign, this is the, the stage where you remove all the chocolate and chips from your pantry and replace them with dates and chia seeds, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Okay. So this is the phase, this is the phase where you buy a blender for your smoothies, isn't it? Huh? Uh-huh. Uh, so in week four, we're going we're gonna to clean out our spiritual pantry and we're going to look at the habit of confession and thanksgiving. After that, we move into the superfoods phase. Ah, superfoods, they're popular, aren't they? Superfoods phase. So you've got your de detox done, you've got your clear out in order. The third phase is actually learning to do healthy spiritual things. 
Uh, this is the healthy eating phase of our 12-week program. It's the doing phase. This is when I ask you to kind of get a bit active and start doing some things and to develop some, some new habits, particularly ones in the context of church life. Um, so week five, we're going to look at giving and tithing. Week six, we're going to look at soul friendships. And week seven, we're going to look at serving. And then we're going to round off our 12-week campaign with the maintenance phase. So this is learning how to maintain these healthy spiritual habits for life, how to stay on track with them, and how to plan ahead to, to, to stay focused in your new um, routines. And so week eight will be all about keeping on track, avoiding boredom, contingency plans for those unexpected seasons that pop up in life, and um, learning how to be accountable to, to uh, one another. So this is Christ's fitness program. And I want to tell you, these habits are essential for your life. I'm not just sharing them because it's kind of a fun little quirky metaphor and analogy. These are essential habits for your life. Christ wants his church to be holy and radiant and blameless and without blemish and, and free and whole, and, and, and living the life that he has for his church and that he has for you as individuals. You know, he, he, Jesus, Jesus wants his bride to look right. Like, like, he doesn't want a haggard, ugly, dirty, smelly bride, does he? I mean, who wants a bride like that? I mean, Jesus doesn't. He doesn't want a tired, worn-out, grumpy bride. He has come so that you might have life in abundance. He has come that, that you might have a full life and it's not a magic fix. I mean, you know that, don't you? You've, you've journeyed long enough to know that it's not, a, it's not a magic fix. It's a process. And we must pay attention to the means by which Christ feeds us and cares for us and shapes us and forms his image in us. And so that's why we're going to learn these new spiritual habits over the next 12 weeks. Are you in for it? Are you signed up? Are you on board? Yeah. Let's get into it. So detox phase starts now. Week one, Sabbath rest. I've put this one first because I believe it's the most important one. Most important. Um, I believe busyness and lack of time resting in God's presence is the greatest hindrance to our, your personal well-being, the well-being of your family, the well-being of our communities, and most importantly, the well-being of Jesus' church. Now, you, you're not going to find any substantial changes happen in your life over the next 12 weeks if you don't get this one in place first. This is, this is foundational. This is foundational. Busyness really is like a drug or a toxin in our society. Like, and, and it's addictive. It's addictive. I, I know how addictive busyness can be. And it's also destructive. It is destructive. Before we can develop better spiritual habits, we need to rid ourselves of the toxin of addiction to overwork. And the basic idea is this. We can't live a Jesus life without practicing rest like he did. Jesus practiced the Sabbath and took regular time out to rest. That's quite simple. So should we. That's as simple as it gets. Some of you are already practicing this. Many of our church, I believe, probably aren't. Some of you will be in a stage of life where it's really easy to practice Sabbath rest. And uh, many of us are going to find this a much greater challenge. That's the reality of it. However, I think the more difficult 
it is to find time for Sabbath rest, the more essential it is that you do it. Okay? What is, what is the Sabbath? Well, it's the rhythm of, of working and doing every six days, working, doing for six days, and then stopping and resting before God on the seventh day. And it was part of the faith life of the Jewish people. However, it's something that's it's gradually fallen out of practice in the Christian church. If you have a look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 2 to 3, it says, By the seventh day, God had rested Uh, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And then Exodus 31. Exodus 31, verses 12 to 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does work on the Sabbath day is to be put to death. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Firstly, the Sabbath is part of creation. God practiced rest. In six days God worked He created, he produced, he made, and then on the seventh day, he stopped and rested, and he was refreshed. And this word rest, it's it's about stopping work, ceasing your labour. The word refreshed, it's a word that's associated in the original language with breath, like with life breath. And so it literally means to take a breath. And you think about it, you know, when, you, when you're busy or you're tired or maybe you're running a race or there's, a, there's a, a big task, maybe gardening or something you're doing, and you stop and pause for a moment and you say, Whoa, I'm just going to catch my breath. I'm just going to stop for a bit. The job's, job's not necessarily done in the sense that there's more, more work to do. The race is not necessarily finished. But you know you can't continue unless you stop and have a little rest midway and it's the stopping and taking a breath that makes us human not machine isn't it it's a reminder that we are living beings not robots and the image of God resting helps us to understand that God is a living being too he's he's a person he has personhood he's not an impersonal energy force or some sort of presence or, or something God is a someone He's not a something. God works and God rests. God labours and then God stops and he's refreshed. Now I think if it was important for God to stop and take a breath for a day, how much more vital is it that we do? If the God of the universe, infinite power and glory and creativity, and the reality is as far as energy and ability goes, God doesn't need to rest. Does he? he? He has 
all energy, all power, all ability. He doesn't actually need to rest. I mean, he made the stars, he made the planets, for goodness sake, he made you. Yet he stops and rests on the seventh day. And I think this is a beautiful picture of God just enjoying the, the fruit of what he's created, the, the, the fruit of his labours, the outcome of his work. He, he stops to look at and to enjoy all that he's made. And so why don't we stop and, and, and take a breath? Stop and be refreshed. Like, do we think we're greater than God? Jesus also practised the Sabbath, didn't he? He was Jewish. And on the Sabbath, we see Jesus in the synagogue teaching and healing. And, and so he's, he's gathered with the rest of the Jewish community to celebrate the Sabbath day. Jesus was also known for taking time out alone with his heavenly father. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And then Luke chapter 5, verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So Jesus knew the importance of quiet rest in his father's presence. Now if you think back to that passage in Exodus we read before, what was to happen to any Israelite who did not practice the Sabbath? They were to be put to death. I mean, that's how seriously... They took the Sabbath. And, and when God gives this rather drastic consequence for not practicing the Sabbath, I think what he's literally saying is, you know, you do it or die. Because to not rest means death for living creatures who are designed to need rest. They can't survive without it. And, and this is a, a beautiful, loving boundary that God puts on his people because he knows that we need it. In fact, we're actually freer. We're freer with the boundary of Sabbath in our life. Here's an example. There was an experiment conducted called the playground experiment. And in this study, school children were taken to a playground with their teacher and there were no fences in this playground. So it was just sort of open to the, the streets. And what happened in this experiment was that all the children stayed huddled close to their teacher and they didn't really explore all of the playground equipment or, or sort of spread out and just, just roam. They, they stayed very close to their, to their teacher. They were then taken to a comparable playground uh, that, that this time had a fence around it. And of course, you know what happened? The children then made full use of the play equipment. They, they explored the whole area, they, they left their teacher's side and, and they, they made full use of the whole space. And the conclusion was that children felt freer and far more secure when there were clearly defined limits and boundaries placed upon their movements. They felt safer from objects of harm. And without these boundaries, they were fearful and they were anxious. And so Sabbath rest is one of God's boundaries for us. And, and, and it's like a fence in our week. It's, it's putting limits on our work so that we don't kill ourselves. It, it puts limits on our responsibilities, limits on the demands that, that life and family and friends and society and work place on us. Without the, the, the uh, boundary of a Sabbath, we become fearful and anxious. But with the Sabbath, all of a sudden, we become freer. 
We feel more secure, more adventurous, more courageous. Because it's part of the fabric and the DNA of our, our, our world and our bodies. You know, rest came before the fall, didn't it? We read that passage in Genesis, didn't we? It wasn't that, that people sinned and, and things got broken and then part of the curse on us was that we now had to, to, to stop and, and rest and sleep. I think that's what we subconsciously think, that, that, that rest is part of the curse somehow. Oh, I'm tired, got to stop can't do what I want to do, what a curse. No, no. no. Rest is a hindrance to our accomplishments, that's what we think. And we think it's a hindrance to our work and to our ministry and we get annoyed about it because our bodies let, let us down. Who's ever been annoyed about their body letting them down? Yeah. And, and, and our bodies get sick and our minds get frazzled, don't they? And, and we think that we're too busy to rest. You know, we think that people are depending on us. There are too many tasks to be done. Our work demands our attention. Our, our phones keep uh, ringing and messaging us. I think that was, that was a God moment there for us, a little practical an analogy for us. We can't switch off and rest. It's impossible. The reality is we're addicted to the adrenaline and the social prestige that comes from a hyper-work lifestyle. I mean, come on, we've got to admit it. This is not how God made creation to operate. Rest was there in the beginning. Rest is part of God's good creation. It's woven into your genetic makeup. Every single person here and every single person who's, dare I say it, too busy to be here. Is that a bit naughty of me to say that? But every single person who's not able to be here, it's woven into the, our genetics. It's, it's like gravity. It's just how this world works. And defying our need for rest is as fruitful as trying to defy gravity and fly. All you're going to do is fall and break yourself. So if we want to live, if we really truly do want to live, we must imitate our Heavenly Father. We must imitate Jesus and, and, and um, you know, rest and stop. And to do anything less is just living a poor, chaotic, second or third best attempt at being human, at being made in the image of our creator God. We really must recognise our need for rest. Secondly, the Sabbath is not just an optional good idea. It's actually a command. Exodus 31. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Full stop. Think about the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. What's the fourth one? Have a guess. <laughs> remember the Sabbath. That's right. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. It's a holy day because it's set apart by God for God. It's a special time. It's a special day. It's not like your other days. It has a special purpose. It's a day that's set apart for something really significant. And the day is holy because it, it points to the special status and relationship that God's people have. It's a celebration day of the covenant relationship that God's people have with him. It's to be a day of joy, a day that you look forward to, a day that you're like counting down till you get to that day of rest with God. Exodus 31, 16 to 17. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, 
celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. As a reminder to the Israelites that they are no longer slaves in the world. They were slaves in Egypt, weren't they? Working every day, toil, labour without ceasing. And God has brought them out of this lifestyle of slavery and he has made them his own people and they are to enter into this gift of rest. And it's a celebration of all that God has done for them. And it reminds them that they are no longer slaves to an evil ruler. They are ones who are in a special, loving, intimate relationship with the Lord. And isn't that our story too? We are no longer slaves to an evil ruler who drives us to work day in and day out. We are ones who are free to live a life of intimacy and love with our creator who has made a covenant with us. It was a command to the Israelites, but I think it's a sort of command like a command to celebrate your birthday, like it's a nice command to get, isn't it? It it shouldn't take too much arm twisting to obey uh, a, a command to celebrate your birthday, should it? And neither should it take arm twisting to celebrate the Sabbath. A.J. Swuber, in his book, Subversive Sabbath, and if you're following along in the app, there's actually a link to that book in the app. If you want to check it out, I really recommend this book. It's, It's excellent. He says this, In the midst of our Sabbath experiment, I was meeting with our church's financial board. Sitting there, it dawned on me that were I to cheat on my wife... I would lose my job. If I stole from my church, I would be run out of town. If I lied about the church finances, I'd be in huge trouble. If I worshipped another god, I'd be removed. There are nine commandments that, if I chose to break, I might lose my ministry over. But if I did not keep a Sabbath day, I would probably get a raise. Wow. This is the one commandment that, that we not only feel okay about breaking, um, we're often applauded for breaking it. I mean, in the church, more than anywhere else. I mean, my workplace, it's, it's regularly made clear to us and frowned upon, do not work after hours. Rest. Take care of yourself. Recharge your batteries. Don't check your emails outside of work hours. Don't take your phone home. You know, we need special permission to work back late. Now, if a secular workplace understands the value of rest and places appropriate boundaries upon its members, then how much more should our churches understand and value rest for our members? We try and avoid the command to rest by saying, well, well, Jesus is our rest. You know, that was Old Testament. This is new. Jesus is my rest. No, I mean, that's true. That's true. He is, he is the one who brings us peace with God and we no longer need to strive or earn God's favour to, to, to be you know, free from sin. Christ is both our favour before God and our freedom from sin, isn't he? Um, But to say that Jesus is our rest in no way takes away the very physical and spiritual need we have to stop, be still, refresh our minds and bodies in fellowship with our creator. Thirdly, we are not just disobedient if we do not practice rest. We are foolish. We are foolish. 
because there is great benefit in practicing Sabbath rest. We often reflect on, on themes of healing and, and restoration in relation to, say, the Lord's Supper or communion, don't we? And uh, maybe we, we pray for healing and maybe we declare uh, spiritual promises of, of healing and wholeness from the Bible. And, and that's all well and good and we should do that. But, but if that's all we do, we, we, we're missing the main provision that God has made for our daily healing, our daily wholeness and our well-being. And that's the Sabbath. Why pray for healing? Why pray for your, your, your mental health or your, your heart health if you're not willing to stop and rest as God told you to? Why, why pray for health if, if you won't stop and rest your physical body? When we stop and rest in God for a day, we experience a renewal of our physical, our mental and our spiritual health. Sabbath rest heals us. It is restorative. Even Jesus, Jesus saw the Sabbath as a, an occasion for healing. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but if you have a look in um, the Gospels, say Mark chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. Another time Jesus went to the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, what, which is lawful to, on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. In John 5, we see that Jesus heals a paralysed man lying near the pool. He's been waiting there years for healing and, and it's the Sabbath day. And Jesus heals him and he tells him to get up, take your mat and walk. Of course, the religious leaders don't like it, do they? Or if you have a look in John 9, Jesus heals a man born blind when he, he puts the mud paste in the man's eyes. And again, it was the Sabbath day that he did that and there are other other examples in the gospels too and so these miracles of healing on the sabbath they're miracles of both physical and spiritual healing and restoration jesus sees the sabbath as a time for healing when we cease from our our activity and our work when we quieten our minds our, our bodies are able to rest into the peace that god desires for us and our our minds and our thoughts become clearer they become more focused. Our emotions settle. We're able to appreciate joy in small things. You know, there are numerous studies out there that show that stopping and being still and just focusing just on the present moment, the present day, the beauty of creation on, on words of truth and affirmation, on the very air and breath that God has placed in our bodies, this is significant in reducing stress, in lowering blood pressure, in reducing chronic pain, improving sleep, even, even relieving digestive problems. Mark 2, 27. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is more than a command, it's a gift. And we'd be foolish not to take it. Do you agree? We do not work in order to obtain Sabbath rest. We rest in order to work. We rest in order to work. 
Finally, we need to get the balance right. There's a, there's a rhythm and a routine that our lives are to be guided by. In the creation story in Genesis, we see a rhythm to the created order, don't we? The sun and the stars are there for the express purpose of marking the sacred times, the days and the years. There's a rhythmical clock in creation and our lives are to follow a rhythm too. Six days of productivity for every one day of rest. Six days of doing and achieving and one day of not achieving. Of course, Sabbath also implies that we are actually working. Not working and not being productive is actually just as destructive as not resting and we need to get the balance right in our lives. So here are some tips for taking a Sabbath. The first tip, plan. Plan your Sabbath rest first. Set aside a day. You've actually got a plan to do this. If, if your day of rest is not the first thing in your weekly planner, I can guarantee you it won't be the last thing because it's not actually going to be in there at all. If you don't plan for it before all the other things get in the way, it's not going to get on your to-do list at all. Depending on your, your stage of life and your commitments, taking a day of rest is going to be difficult. I acknowledge that. I know that. I experience that. It's something your whole family will need to be doing. It's no good planning a Sabbath for yourself if you're running your, your kids around to birthday parties or sport or something on the day you've set aside. And it doesn't have to be a particular day of the week. It just needs to be one. It just needs to be one day. And it might be Sunday for you. It might be another day. For me, I think my best window of opportunity is from about lunchtime Saturday through to lunchtime Sunday. You know, not every week, but that seems to be the, the sweet spot for me. Okay, and, and you'll have your own sweet spot. You just got to find it, make time for it, look for it. There, there is a sweet spot. It might need to change according to your work roster, <laughs> but but there's that you can you can do it. You can do it. Second thing, learn to say no. Learn to say no. Be convinced of the importance of your Sabbath. It is more important to you than anything else on offer. Treat it like you would treat an appointment or, or a work day. You know, if, if, if you have an appointment to go somewhere, if you have to work and someone says, hey, let's go shopping today or let's go to this social event, well, what do you say? We say, no, I've got an appointment. No, I've got work. But if you've kind of just set aside a day to be at home and be with Jesus and someone makes you an offer to go somewhere, we often say yes, don't we? Because we've got time. You know, you might need to say no to other offers because you're booked in with Jesus that day. You're booked in with your family that day. You're booked in to stop and smell the roses on that day. Number three, practice anointed carelessness. Practice anointed carelessness. The Sabbath is a way of setting aside our doing and just being with God. It's an acknowledgement that we actually do trust him to sort things out in our absence. All those things or all those people that depend on you the six days of the week that you're worrying about, the people you're helping, or the jobs and tasks that remain undone in your house or at work, 
For one day, they're not your concern. We should take a rest from our emotional burdens. You, you don't need to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders 24-7. We should be able to go carefree, phone-free, tech-free, and take a day that's just about renewal and refreshment of you and your family. You take a day just to take a breath. Number four, do things that bring life. Our Sabbath rest should be life-giving and restorative to us. So a, a rough rule of thumb is what you do on your Sabbath should be the opposite of what you spend your other six days doing. So, for example, if six days of the week you, you're in quite a, a, a labour-intensive job where you physically exert yourself, on, on your Sabbath day, stop, rest, sit around, let your body do nothing for a while. If, if six days a week you're around a lot of people and, and you're quite busy with people, on your Sabbath day, find some time for solitude and, and alone time. If six days a week you're, you're busy producing and making and doing things, then on your Sabbath day, have a go at just not, not doing, not producing. Just potter through the day. If six days a week you're, you're engaged in work that is, it involves a lot of mental energy and thought, then on your, your Sabbath day, do activities that don't require a lot of thought or mental energy. If you work on your own six days a week, on your Sabbath, spend some time with family and friends. If uh, uh, six days a week you're, you're without kids, whether they, you, know, you just don't have kids at home or, or um, they're at school, on your Sabbath day, take some time to be with your kids, be with your family. If your week, however, is full of children, then on your Sabbath day, you know, you've, got to, you've got to go bush or something and, and, and you know, spend some time, even if it's only an hour or two, away, away from your kids, okay? If your week's full of tech, what do you do on your Sabbath? Switch off your tech for a day. If your, your week is full of cooking meals, then, then you know, plan not to have to do that on your Sabbath day. Take away. Freezer meals. Um, if, you, you know, if you're often out and about driving everywhere six days a week, then, it, then on your Sabbath day, plan to stay home. If you're at home six days a week, then on your Sabbath day, plan to get out. Okay, you can see what I mean. It's, it's an opposite day for you. And so that's, that's the basic framework or goal. And, and then just, just think about what brings you joy? What brings you joy? What quietly restores your soul? Do that. Do that. And then add to all of this something that allows you to connect and fellowship and enjoy God in some way. Something that stirs your heart to go, wow, God. And that might happen in your garden, on a walk, reading a book, reading your Bible, listening to music. It might happen drawing or journaling or having a coffee with God. It'll happen at church, it'll happen in prayer, either alone or with others. Just find some way to recalibrate and refocus your soul towards him. Reset your soul watch so that it ticks in rhythm with God. And we need to, at the start of every week, reset our soul watches so that they function in the rhythm and the pace that God has made us to function. And so our Sabbath must include time set aside with God. 
So busyness and striving, these are destructive toxins and they, they will rob you of joy and in your life and joy before God. And he commands us to rest for our own good. It's part of the way he made things to work. And when we don't rest like we're supposed to, it's like we're slowly injecting poison into ourselves and we wonder why we feel so sick and tired all the time. We are made to spend time in God's presence. We are made to stop and enjoy the fruit of our labour. We're made to stop and smell the roses. Now, it's going to be two weeks until I preach again. We've got Trev coming next week. I want you to, if you don't already regularly plan a Sabbath, I want you to do it. Do it in conjunction with your family. Plan for it. Anticipate what you'll get to do on that day. Get excited about the time you get to spend with God. It's kind of like date night with God, you know. Uh, look forward to it. It's, like, it's a bit like having Christmas once a week without all the hassle of having to buy all those presents. All right, the day you just stop and celebrate and enjoy. Our 12-week spiritual renewal boot camp is, is all about making one change at a time. And so, you know, we're training for the Jesus life. And this stuff is good and it is beneficial. And if you make these changes in your life, I can guarantee you will be glad that you did. Let's pray. Lord God, there is nothing more important in this world and in our life and, and in our time than to stop and be with you. Would you teach us, Jesus, how to do that? Would you give us a, a, both a desire and an ability to just plan a day where we stop from our labours, where we cease our work and where we just connect with you and connect with our family and connect with, with your church? Would you give us a day, show us how to take a day that just rests and restores and renews us, Jesus. Lord, we want to be a church, we want to be a people and a body who are, are fit and healthy and are just running that Jesus life. So Father, over the coming 12 weeks, would you just change the way we do life? Would you develop these new spiritual habits with us? Would you um, give us the, the, the burning desire to, to change things in our life so that we would be um, just really in sync with your will for us and just really um, strong and fit and, and healthy in the way that Jesus would have us be strong and fit and healthy? Father, we just pray for, um, for this church. We thank you that we are being made into the image of Jesus together. And may we be just used for your glory and your majesty and your kingdom in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.